it's so genuinely wonderful to be with you all. I'm very glad to see your lovely faces. And tonight I'm going to be carrying on our series, One Hit Wonders. No, that's not the One Hit Wonders anymore. That's a blank screen. But you remember what it looks like. One Hit Wonders looking at Ananias and Sapphira. Keep on messing that one up. And Sapphira. Um, and as I was preparing this afternoon, Olive, um, who happens to be my wife, said to me, um, you're going to mention me in your talk this evening because everyone, everyone, you know, Philip and Kate are always going on about each other and I never get a look in, I never get a mention. Why don't you mention me? I said, well, I don't think it's like the most appropriate talk really for me to be mentioning about you because this is about religious hypocrisy. And she said, well, I'm the biggest religious hypocrite. Mention me. So there you go. You've, you've got your wish. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but seriously, no, I do want to thank Olive seriously though. I'm going to be upfront with you. I've had quite a bad week mental health-wise this week, so um, Olive's been very supportive and lovely and wonderful. Um, but just to say, this might not be my most polished of talks. Now, some of you are thinking you usually polish your talks because <laughs> it's not the impression I get. But this, you know, this is the raw, unedited. Well, it's very much been edited. Don't worry about that. I'm not going off totally off piece. But we are looking at what it means to be a, a religious hypocrite and what we can learn from the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, essentially, it, theirs is a story of religious hypocrisy, and unfortunately, frustratingly, sadly, uh, it's not difficult to find stories of religious hypocrisy uh, anywhere you look, really. I bet if you went on your BBC News app, it would only take you a couple of minutes to find something about abuse in the church, um, or about church leaders having major moral failures, or um, uh, people uh, kind of doing really horrible things to other people in the name of God. And it's frustrating and it's easy for us to feel like uh, I might as well just give up, might as well lose hope because it, it doesn't look like we're going to get any better. But the thing that's kept me going as I've been preparing this talk and as I have, um, uh, as I have, sorry, I'm just, oh, my iPad has just, no, that's all good. It's just switched off. There we go. Uh, uh, as I have been kind of preparing this and thinking it through, the thing that's kept me going is the vision and the reality of what the church can be like when we keep our eyes on Jesus. The knowledge that the church, uh, when we get it right, is the most beautiful um, collection of people on planet Earth without a shadow of a doubt. And it's a really wonderful thing. So that hope has been really clear in my eyes over the last week as I've um, prepared. And in order to understand that, in order to understand what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, it's helpful to know um, a bit of the background about the time that they were living in. So we hear about them in the book of Acts, um, which is like the sequel to Luke's gospel. It's like Luke 2, this time it's actual, something like that. Uh, and it's just kind of the continuation of what happens after Jesus is resurrected. So we learn about the early church. And we learn about when Jesus is kind of newly resurrected, he's around, he's doing miracles, he's meeting people. Um, all these people meet him and have you know, life-changing encounters with him. And then he goes up to be with the Father, he goes to heaven, and then the disciples are all hanging around for a bit like, oh, flip, what do we do now? Uh, and then the Holy Spirit comes, the day of Pentecost. Um, people are filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in languages that they don't even know how to speak. Literally thousands of people become Christians in a day. And uh, all sorts of amazing stuff happens. And the church lives incredibly radically and generously. Um, the church uh, live their lives in ways that don't really make sense unless something really incredible has happened at a deep level to people. Uh, they are going out and preaching and healing people, seeing miracles, uh, and also getting jailed for it, being persecuted for it, and eventually losing their lives for it. And um, 
In uh, the book of Acts, it says this about the way that they live. So I'm going to have to turn around for this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. What an incredible way to live. That's pretty crazy sacrificial. You, you, surely something incredible has happened in these people's lives to live like that. They've seen a vision of something incredible. They've met someone incredible uh, and that is Jesus. And these people are early followers of Jesus. They're absolutely sold out for him. And... Um, they do this because they want to. There's no one at the door of the church going, well, if you want to, I'm going to need one house from city centre Bristol worth of money for you to get in this club. It's not a kind of an exclusive thing. It's a, all right, well, let's just do what we have to. No one's saying you have to do this or that. It's that they've met Jesus and something incredible happens. And this is the community that Ananias and Sapphira are a part of. And uh, I think they're a really helpful example of basically how to be a religious hypocrite. So um, hopefully uh, none of you are sitting here going, oh, do you know what? I'd really love to be a better religious hypocrite. But in case that's any of you, uh, I'm going to go through three tips to be the best religious hypocrite that you can be from the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. So firstly, the first lesson that I want us to take from this is number one, care about what people see, not what God sees. Um, so uh, the, when we learn about them uh, in Acts, this is in chapter 5, so if we go to the reading, so this is what we hear uh, about them and their story. So it says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart and that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to humans, just sorry, just to human beings, but to God. And it's at this point that Ananias drops dead. Uh, and I accidentally left that out of the reading, which is like very much the key part of the whole reading is he then drops dead. And I'm not going to get into, oh, why would God do that? You know, was it God? Did he have a heart attack? All the things like that. Um, you feel free to look into that yourself. But what I want to look at is the principle behind uh, what happened, which was what happened shows that um, the hypocrisy that they, uh, that Ananias and Sapphira kind of lived out was incredibly important. It was important enough that it had really grave consequences. And I can say with like, like almost absolutely total certain that God's not going to make any of us drop down dead for being hypocrites. Otherwise, I'm not sure there'd be any of us here because all of us at some stage or another have done that. Um, but one thing that's helpful to understand is that in the world's eyes, what Ananias and Sapphira have done is incredible. Can you imagine if you sold your house in central Bristol... Say you've got like a, it's probably like a flat for 500k these days. It's an insanity. But anyway, you sold that and you gave like most of the money to the church. You said, I'm going to give this money to Metro so that they can uh, have an amazing ministry with uh, people who are um, rough sleeping. Oh, and you'd go, wow, if you get, you get 400k, 400k, just get you sold your house. Um, uh, and you only kept 100k yourself. Oh, how generous. Um, but that's not the point that we're getting at. The point we're getting at is that 
they were deceptive and they acted as if they'd given the whole thing. And I don't know exactly what their motives were, um, but it could have been, actually, we need to hold a bit back because we're afraid. Actually, we need to hold a bit back because um, we're selfish. Uh, but ultimately, they're doing it in a way that makes them look good in front of other people, despite God knowing what the truth is. And I watched, uh, I watched just before, when I was preparing this, watched like a dramatization of this. And you see Ananias and Sapphira, they're queuing up to give their things to the church. And they're, they're going, oh, well, well, we need to hold back some of it. What about this? Well, you know, they, they didn't say we have to give all of it, which is entirely true. But they then go, here's everything we ever owned and everything that's valuable to us. And uh, it's not true. And they're holding some of it back. And what they're concerned about is looking good in front of people rather than looking good in front of God. And it makes me ask the question at least, do I ever do things because I care more about what people think about me than about what God thinks about me? Uh, you might say, yeah, I mean, everyone work knows I'm a Christian. They know I go to church. But actually, I still gossip just as bad as everyone else because I don't want to be left out. I say one thing and I do another. I believe one thing, but I don't act it out. I am more concerned uh, with the way that people perceive me than how the reality is. And um, I would probably gently say in our culture today, I think that's probably a problem that's, that's pretty widespread. I know it's true for me that in so many occasions in my life, I'm much more concerned with how people perceive me than, how, uh, than doing the thing that is actually right in God's eyes, the things that only God sees. From that point, uh, I think we can take our second lesson. And uh, because it's difficult for us to ask ourselves those questions, those hard questions by ourselves sometimes. It's difficult for me to go, do you know what, am I doing this with the right motive? Am I doing that? And like, I don't know about you, but I need a little bit of help. I need someone challenging me on these things. And uh, actually, in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira, you see a great example of them uh, fulfilling point number two on my list of how to be a great religious hypocrite uh, by avoiding all accountability. And that's point number two if you want to be a great religious hypocrite. Avoid all accountability. Um, both Ananias and Sapphira had the opportunity to be accountable to one another. Uh, they both knew what was happening, so they both knew. And they could, have, they could have gone, do you know what, actually, this isn't the right thing to do. We should either say, you know, this isn't all of our money, or they could say, actually, we're just not going to do it because we're not ready. We're not in a place to do it yet. Um, but they didn't. They didn't take that opportunity to challenge one another. And I know for me personally, that's something in my life that I definitely need. And it's not to say um, that, you know, at Metro, we're going to teach things and say, well, if you don't follow what we've said, if you don't interpret something in this way, or you don't do exactly what we've said, well, you're out of the club. Absolutely not. But sometimes for us as individuals, there's going to be areas in our faith, in our lives, where we go, oh, do you know what? Actually, I... Um, I want to be held to account on this thing or that thing because actually it can be really difficult um, to tell the honest truth rather than just the truth. You know, for me personally, in real life, it would be totally true for me to say it's been absolutely ages since I've used porn. It would be honest to say I'm still really tempted a lot of the time and objectification of women is still a problem for me. I don't know what that could look like for you. Maybe it's... 
I think it's not good for me to do coke on a night out because of the effect that it has on families living in areas controlled by cartels in Latin America or wherever else that might be produced. But I still do it anyway because I want to fit in with other people. It could be, um, you know, I say that I, and I do really care about people, so I want to know about what's happening in their lives, but the reality is I actually just use that because it makes me feel powerful, having lots of the knowledge about people. Uh, it could be that you say, you know, oh, I, I'd love to give money to church, but I don't have any left, or to charitable causes or whatever it might be, uh, but I don't have any left. And that's true, but actually the reason you don't have any left is because you spent it on other things that you would rather spend money on. So for each of us, we have to create space for accountability if that's something that in your faith journey you're ready to do. So uh, for me personally, there's a couple of different areas where I've, I've done that. So firstly is our hubs. We uh, at Metro have kind of midweek groups. We're taking a little break over August at the moment, but where we basically get together and it's come, sometimes it's kind of like a random group of people, which I really love because I feel like that's really what the church is about. It's not just us kind of a nice cozy little group of friends. It's kind of a real reflection of um, society and of the whole church. And we'll get together and we'll kind of, I slightly hate this phrase, but do life. So, you know, send each other loads of memes on a WhatsApp group, eat ridiculous amounts of sweets, bake cakes um, and, and such. But alongside all of that, we're also going through the same kind of things that we talk about on a Sunday. Uh, and we're challenging each other. We're thinking, actually, how can I live this out? And it's not to say, as, as, I, as I said, it's not to say, well, you all have to do this. And if you don't follow what a certain person says, then, uh, then you're a hypocrite. Actually, no, there's plenty of space for us to challenge things and for us to disagree over things. But actually, that's what that space is for, is for us to say, actually, I want to be held accountable for you know, I've noticed at work when I'm stressed, uh, I have a real temper and I'm, I'm not very kind to people, things like that. And there might be other issues as well that uh, may be a bit more personal, which might not be totally appropriate for a group like that. So for me personally, um, I've for you know, nearly nine years now, I've had a prayer triplet. So me and two other guys have met up, I want to say once a month, it's not quite that frequent, that's the idea. Uh, and we kind of, we have some stuff that we challenge each other on. So when we were um, three uh, unmarried guys, but all in relationships, the three of us, we decided actually we, as, as guys, we are people who we want to keep sex for marriage. So um, we, we, we would ask each other some quite uncomfortable questions, um, but that was something we'd all agreed to. So we said, each time we meet up, we're going to ask each other, have you looked at porn and have you gone past the boundary this, that you've set for yourself in your relationships in terms of the physical side of things? And I'm, I'm going to be honest, we said that maybe in slightly more crude ways when we actually said it to each other for comic value. But the... Um, <laughs> The principle of challenging each other and knowing I'm going to this thing, I'm going to have to report for the things that I've said I want to be better at so that I'm not saying I live one way and actually doing it a different way. And actually what we do is encourage each other to look to Jesus, to try and be more like him. The example that we've seen from the word of God made flesh dwelling among us. And that is my third point. If you want to be a great religious hypocrite, you need to stay as far away as you can from Jesus. Uh, because this is what happens uh, after Ananias and Sapphira's story. Actually, I've just realized I've missed out one of the readings, but that's okay. You got the, the general gist. Basically, after Ananias, Sapphira comes along and she also drops dead and lies as well. So I'm um, sorry about leaving that out. As I said, fuzzy brain, but hopefully we're getting the principles here. But if you, again, want to be a great religious hypocrite, Stay far away from Jesus. Um, because this is what happens uh, after that story. That story 
isn't then replicated and said, well, this is the same. We're all just going to carry on living our lives like this. Sure, there's tons of issues uh, in the church. But um, on the main, people stay really strong and stay close to Jesus. It says this, uh, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Despite all that's going on, despite persecution, despite problems in the church, these people had met Jesus and they carried on trying to live like Jesus and live out the example they'd, lived, they'd, um, they'd had from him. And as I said, it's so easy to get discouraged. I know for me, honestly, this has been one of the hardest talks I've ever had to write. I've done stuff that on paper sounds more difficult and more challenging. But for me, having to face up to the church's problems, you know, uh, corporately, but also the stuff that I've got wrong in my own heart, where I've wronged people and I've, li I've said that I want to live one way and lived a different way, it's tough. But uh, I want to tell you from experience that if you are struggling with that, if you've got an air in your life where you're thinking, I'm, I'm saying one thing and I'm doing another thing, I'm being a religious hypocrite, I honestly can say that if you stay close to Jesus, he will meet with you, he will move in you, and he will help you. So for me personally, um, one of the things that has, I noticed maybe about a year ago, uh, maybe just under a year ago, um, is I had a real problem uh, with saying that I loved people in church and not actually. You were hoping for a more juicy one, weren't you? <laughs> I have a real problem with murder and I just, I can't stop. I keep on saying, yes, I believe in don't murder people, but no, it was, it was loving people. And uh, just over a year ago, uh, Olive, again, there she is, uh, we got married and I had the absolute most hectic few months of my life and I was exhausted so I had to take a break from some church stuff and it got to the stage where I realised, hang on a minute, I'm treating church like a bit of a transactional thing and I would go and I was like, right, I need to go and do the things I need to go at church and oh my gosh, this person wants to talk and oh, I don't care about this or that and I'm just here to tick the box and do the thing and I realised, oh my gosh, how hard-hearted and frankly, not very nice have I become that actually, particularly as someone who's kind of uh, in some ways trying to help lead this church, what an awful position to be in that uh, Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep, look after people. And I wasn't doing that. I didn't, I didn't love people like Jesus had taught me to. So I, I started praying about it. And I, do you know what I did? Here's the really boring answer. I just got up every morning, read my Bible and prayed. And I said to Jesus, can you help me with this, please? And he actually went, yes, I will. And so slowly I started to notice, like, oh, man, oh, I'd love to catch up with that person. Oh, my gosh, I wonder what's happening with this person and this. What's happened to that thing? And, and you just kind of realize, oh, my gosh, what's happened? Ah! And I've, I just honestly, just spending that time getting close to Jesus has changed me, is the, is the total truth for you. And um, it just keeps on spilling over into other areas of my life as well. And I got really annoyed. We had a sermon series called One Another, which Philip was doing, and I think some other people will help with as well. And um, it was basically about just loving one another. And I was really annoyed, because, and I've said this to Philip, I said, I'm loving one another more, but not because of this series, thank you very much. 
I figured this out with Jesus at least a week ago. So don't you dare. Um, but seriously, even in my work recently, um, I, you know, someone, one of my colleagues got promoted to like my dream job and I was happy for her. I wasn't jealous at all. I was just really happy because God does stuff when we ask him for help. When we ask him for help to be more like him, the Holy Spirit in his grace helps us and it's kind of mad. But that's what gives me hope. When I see all the problems that I've got and that the church as a whole has got, it's, it's easy to either get despondent about myself or to point the finger at other people, get angry at, well, those Christians over there, they think that. And that part of the church have done that. And ugh. But when I ask God to meet with me, he does. And so that's what I want us to do this evening is I appreciate probably this talk has been a bit all over the place, but... The thing that kept me going, like I said, was if I can just get the chance to say what God's done in my life and ask him to do the same for the rest of us or, or to carry on doing stuff or, I don't know, maybe to bring healing for some of us where we feel like we've been at the receiving end of hypocrisy. That, that's good enough for me because I know how incredible it is. So I'd love it if you're able and willing. Um, would you stand with me? Um, and maybe the band want to come up and just get ready. Don't, don't need any music or anything yet. Um, I'd love it if we could just take a moment and actually, uh, just in silence, for each of us, if we could just reflect for a moment and think, ah, oh, where are the areas in my life where I'm a, I'm a bit like Ananias and Sapphira? I'm saying one thing, but I'm doing another. That could be around money, like with them. Could be around relationships, could be about how you treat other people, could be about words, I don't know, whatever it is. But let's just take a moment to examine our hearts um, and then I'm going to pray for us. And like I said as well, um, if you're feeling like, oh, well, I've, the, the pain for me is being at the receiving end of this, then um, well, actually we'd love to pray, pray for any of you. So we'll have people over back in my uh, back left hand corner, your, behind you on your right. Um, there'll be people there who'd love to pray for you um, and just ask God to move in your life and they're not going to like preach you or anything like that. Um, just ask God to, to help you in whatever it is that you need help with. So I'm going to just ask us to just stay in silence for just like 30 seconds. It'll probably feel like an eternity because that's how these things work. But um, I don't think we need to hype God up because I know his spirit comes down. So Holy Spirit, we um, invite you now and I just ask that you'd give us that... Um, the humility to be able to look um, at ourselves and see where we've got it wrong and where we're getting it wrong. And I ask in your grace um, that you would move in us, that you'd help us to grow, that you'd help us to heal. Come Holy Spirit, we wait for you.